in an emergency setting where we have a game that actually emulates all of those decisions, you could let them play. And then you can have to play again. And then you can let them play again. And you can give them feedback each of those rounds. And by the end of playing four games, a high school student understands, you know, actually it's not even four rounds of the game. It's like four turns of the game. We've played this with high schoolers. By turn four, if I recorded the audio about their decision-making and placed it next to a bunch of attendings playing and next to a bunch of residents playing, I defy you to be able to differentiate which group was actually talking. If I gave you a clip, an audio clip, I don't think you'd be able to tell the difference. Board games? What's that got to do with emergency medicine? My name's Jeff. This is how it's met in MedTech Talks, and we're coming back with Dr. Teresa Chan, the creator of Gridlocked, the emergency medicine board game. This time, we're chatting more about Gridlocked, as well as why Dr. Chan made the choices that she made to go into academic medicine, as well as some of her other exploits in this realm. Let's just jump right back into it. Honestly, that sounds a lot like either Diner Dash or Overcooked, but for an extremely hectic healthcare setting. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, what it is is that if you've ever played the game, what, what happens is um, we take the medicine out of it. And so the medical students learned a lot about medical management because what they did was they created cards where the patients have needs that they have to be met by the different multi uh, um, interprofessionals uh, team that's uh, represented in Gridlock. So you have um, a staff doc, a resident, um, a bunch of nurses, four nurses, um, a radiologist who is really wards a, uh, a uh, cartoon character that stands in the place of the entire radiology department, uh, and then a consultant who role plays basically every consultant. Um, we had to do some abstractions, right? Because I didn't want to give like people like 13 different consultants to sit around not doing anything. Um, and so that's basically what, um, the gridlock is about. And, and so what ended up happening is that we, um, you actually place the, um, the different healthcare providers in different rooms. And when they're in the room, they can actually check off, um, actions, um, within each of the rooms to take care of the patients in those rooms. Mm -hmm. You had mentioned off the air that those who weren't so medically inclined tended to perform actually better than some medical learners. What do you think that is? Well, I think that it's about suspension of belief. And so it wasn't actually learners that we had trouble with mostly. It would be career physicians closer to the end of their careers who didn't have a lot of simulation experience. Mm. We have trouble with these slight obstructions. They're like, well, that's not exactly how it works. And I'm like, okay, okay. But it's a game. And so we do have to make some decisions and decrease the complexity a little bit because otherwise it'd be a simulation. And then we talk a little bit more about the, the game. And I know you're laughing, but you know, like fidelity is something that, you know, yeah, yeah, that's is fair. important, right? And so this particular thing looks at fidelity, not from the system's point of view, but in terms of the understanding of the dynamics of flow. And so once you actually zoom out enough with some of those faculty members, they got it, right? Mm. They understood that, but they, they couldn't get over that hump at the beginning, but I'm like, just play and then you'll see. Mm. And then by the end, they're like, oh, I have a little bit of PTSD. This is like every shift I've ever like experienced. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then that's when the conversation gets 
gets to start, right? Because if they realize that by playing this game for an hour, they can replicate an entire shift's work worth of decision-making and thinking, then isn't this a powerful tool to be able to help a learner understand that without exposing, you know, 60 patients maybe to any undue harm by having a first year resident run the department. That's just never going to happen, right? And it's not safe. But in an emergency setting where we have a game that actually emulates all of those decisions, you could let them play. And then you can let them play again. And then you can let them play again. And you can give them feedback each of those rounds. And by the end of playing four games, a high school student understands, you know, actually it's not even four rounds of the game. It's like four turns of the game. We've played this with high schoolers. By turn four, if I recorded the audio about their decision-making and placed it next to a bunch of attendings playing and next to a bunch of residents play, I defy you to be able to differentiate which group was actually talking. If I gave you a clip, an audio clip, I don't think you'd be able to tell the difference. That's fast. They were talking like emerged docs. So, I mean, if this tool is, or this game tool, game tool, if, if it's mm -hmm. so impactful, like what has the scope of its adoption been? And if the adoption hasn't been as wide as you've expected, why hasn't it been adopted as widely as you would have thought? I think it's been adopted pretty widely. Mm. I mean, it's niche because it is more for emergency medicine providers. Right. It is niche because it's based on the Canadian system. So again, if you have a fidelity issue, Fair enough. <laughs> then you might, oh, it's not American enough, right? Like fine, right? Uh, but we've sold like, I don't know, I believe it's over 500 copies worldwide. Like it's a popular game. Um, and we get, we get sales in like Europe and Australia, like it's all over the world. And you can check out like, um, the feedback, um, from some of our fans when you follow our, uh, our game has its own Twitter account at Redlocked Game. Um, and it interacts with its own fans. Um, and so there's, you know, some people that actually um, do engage in it and some play with their kids, um, because you, you know, as an immersed doc, you probably can't do what my dad did and take your kid to work. This is a great surrogate for that to be able to explain. Mm -hmm. And so the idea would be that, uh, um, I know at least one precocious seven-year-old who fell in love with the game so much that before her dad went to work, she would wake him up and say, can you play the game before you go to work? And he'd be like, I have to go to work today. <laughs> And he didn't really want to, but he did. <laughs> and so, um, it emulates things and, and, and like, you get to see some of the reactions. One of my friends, Seth Truger live tweeted the game, one of the games that he played with his daughter after they set it up. Um, and his commentary is pretty funny. He's like, see Chan, this game knows how to hurt me <laughs> because he drew, drew the good luck card, you know, at an inopportune moment when the consultant was up taking care of a code and then they were gridlocked and then, you know, like nothing could move. And he was like, this is so eerie. This is exactly what happens to us all the time. And so, um, and, and he, he, uh, he reported that his daughter quite liked the game. Yeah. Those are some amazing stories and I definitely am going to go out and buy the game now. Um, but I guess apart from them, what's, what's the future of the game? Goose just walked through the screen. Um, <laughs> it's all good. We, I don't think our listeners can, uh, hear that. So it's okay. Um, so, uh, well, the gridlocked game has spurred, um, a prequel game. The prequel game is called triaged 
and triage just won um, an international serious games award. And so in the academic category. So triage is about uh, what you do if you're um, in incident, uh, sorry. Triage is about what you do if there is a field disaster and you're the incident command person. Um, and usually those are paramedics um, at a scene of a, of a small disaster. And so you actually draw a card it's like a disaster, like a, a burning building or plane crash or whatever. And, and then you start the game and, and the game has, um, you draw, um, basically cards that are characters who have experienced a mass casualty incident. And then you have to triage them correctly and send certain of those patients to the right hospitals. And so there's different hospitals in the game and you have to basically get people to the right hospitals and things like that. And so. That's the idea. And you learn very quickly when you play this game, why we get something called code zero. At least that's what we call it in Hamilton. When there's no ambulances available in the system to be able to take emergencies to the hospital, because they're all sitting at the hospital waiting to offload the patients. And so that's, um, the point of that game is to really teach that. And so it, uh, yeah, it, what it placed first as, uh, in a, in the academic category at the gala competition this year, um, which was hosted in Italy, mm -hmm. but it was an international online conference. So that was pretty cool. Uh, to, to step back to a more meta context. I mean, I've just heard you tell a story about how you've identified a need and then prototyped a solution and then scaled the solution. Why haven't like, I, I mean. I, you're, you're, you're a very academic person. You focused a lot of your work on academic life. Why not step into the startup world for, with like med ed tools that are massively scalable and why focus on academic medicine instead? Um, I mean, it's where my training is. Hmm. Um, also I'm a sucker, so that's a big part of it. Um, because all the, all the, um, all the proceeds from grid locked in triads going to a, a fund that we've created. Um, all the creators have donated it. And in order to be part of our, I guess you could call it a bit of a syndicate or collaborative, um, I, you have to basically promise that you will give the proceeds of your game. Like, well, we basically now fund the startup of new, uh, um, games in order to say, Hey, when you're done it, will you donate the money back to the fund? So the fund could then start kickstart other games. And so. You know, right now we're sponsoring, uh, the development of a couple of other things. There's a free version of Gridlocked, which of course had to be funded. <laughs> uh, and so we're working on that development. We also have, um, a game that is an expansion pack for Gridlocked where it's called expanded yeah. with the capital ED, obviously. Um, and, uh, cause that's really on brand, um, <clears throat> and in that one, there will be an expanded team. So. Um, what we do is, um, we're trying to work out the rules, but the idea would be they'll be expanded, possibly an expanded board. Definitely, um, a, we're not sure, sure if we're going to use a D nine or D eight. So that's a eight not sided or nine sided die, um, to up the ante and make it more complex and harder, right? Cause you draw more patients, uh, and gridlocked if you have a different die. Um, and then we also will have a, um, uh, we will have more players. So we'll have a PA an NP. Um, and more nurses and more doctors and more consultants in the expansion path to be able to emulate a bigger, bigger hospital setup. And you as the hospital administration team will get a budget of how many points to staff your emergency department at the beginning as the pre-setup for the game. So that's in development right now. And one of my, 
um, awesome junior uh, collaborators, uh, Claire Fiala from McMaster University Medical School. Michael G. DeCroote Medical School is heading up that team. So she's like the project manager. She's prototyping with a bunch of uh, med students from different campuses. And so that's pretty awesome. Um, and then, and then um, we have another one that's um, being prototyped that's uh, an internal medicine board unit. Um, which is about discharge planning. And so it is in the gridlock family, but it exists on a different time scale and a different universe. Because what we realized when we were planning and prototyping this game is that you actually can't put the internal medicine board game in the same time scale as gridlocked, because gridlocked every turn is an hour. But in the internal medicine board game, in order, to make it playable, we had to make every turn a day. And I'm like, <clears throat> if this is not a commentary on hospital life, I don't know what is. <laughs> because this is the this is the mismatch we have all the time. So we have this mismatch in that the rest of the hospital is like, well, the length of stay was three days. We're like, yeah, it was three days and 12 hours though. And they're like, well, <laughs> you know, or 11 hours, you round down. And I'm like, that 11 hours makes a huge difference to us because it's like a whole round of gridlock and then a round and a half of gridlock. Like, and so we're thinking in hours and everyone else is thinking in days. And, and so that's, you know, pretty interesting. Um, but it should be very interesting to, uh, that game will be a very different dynamic. It's very complex. And, but it is interdisciplinary where you actually have different consultants and you have to, the, the, it helps you understand the complexities of trying to get someone from admission to discharge. It's going to be called discharge with the with ED. The yes, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. I mean, I, I stand corrected. You have created your own form of a startup where you have differentiated mm -hmm. products, product teams, identified different mm -hmm. needs. That that's amazing. Yeah. This is called something called entrepreneurship. When you have mm -hmm. a unit within a bigger organization that acts entrepreneurially, that's, that's what the technical term is. And so. It's a little tiny, tiny entrepreneurial unit where everyone's volunteer. <laughs> I, I guess in, in response to that, has there been like, there has been pushback to some of the work that our other guests have done in creating, uh, digital medicine tools or medical devices. Has there been as much pushback to entrepreneurship instead of entrepreneurship in your experience? No, because I'm not really in the healthcare space, right? This is education. People are happy with education. Mm -hmm. mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, speaking about education, um, you've done other amazing things other than create gridlocked. Um, how did the story of Canadian start? Oh, Canadian is a, is a multi-author blog that, um, basically, how do I put it? Um, it was a very Canadian thing to do. Um, a lot of us had looked, um, around the world. We, we did, we didn't know that there were big blogs that had been started and podcasts and, and groups that formed in different countries. There's Aussies who have life and fastly, um, there's the academic life and emergency medicine team, um, which I'm affiliated with and still a volunteer for. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, uh, there was a, a unified Canadian presence and, and what we did was we knew that there were a lot of different people that started up their own blogs and podcasts. Um, but we also knew that it's hard to sustain that. And so, you know, at a national conference or two, we did talk it up to say, Hey, would there ever be appetite for one group? Um, and we could have safety in numbers and probably have a little bit more organizational structure behind it. 
because a lot of these free open access medical education platforms or FOMAs, some people call it, right? Um, platforms are, um, are kind of their own startups. They're educational, non, not-for-profit startups usually because we're usually spending our own money to fund <laughs> these things. Um, but that's hard to sustain and it's hard to keep up. And as a single person doing a podcast or even as a dyad, I'm sure how it's meant, you know, sustainability may be difficult in the long run. And so by unifying um, a bunch of different blogs and podcasts that wanted to hang out together, we created a new organization in 2016. It's called Canadium. And it has more of an organizational structure. It's more formalized. There's, there's an editor-in-chief. There there's a leadership group. There are then apprentices, a junior editor program where people can volunteer to be junior editors, apprentice in to the community practice. We also have a fellowship program that people can layer on called the Digital Fellows Program and our Digital Scholars Program, sorry. Um, and uh, you can like focus your area of academic excellence in emergency medicine or another field where you can do it as a junior faculty and develop your skills as a digital educator. Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like oh, this organization helped facilitate the continued growth or uh, sustainability of the free open access medical education, I guess, universe. For those who don't know what that is, could you explain what that is and why it came about? Yeah, so um, Free Open Access Medical Education is probably a movement that predates its name. Uh, probably around 2000-ish, uh, um, there's a bunch of people like Michelle Lynn, like Mike Kadogan, like Scott Weingart, who saw that these technologies probably would be a great place to start um, teaching people. And so um, several, all of these founders, let's say, of uh, the FOMED movement, started putting up web pages and podcasts and other things like that that um, become have become really a huge part of many people's education, a huge part of um, everyone's day-to-day uh, -day kind of like operations. Even. I'm raising and my so, hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so I think at that point, the idea would be that um, that started in the early 2000s, right? And really started taking off, I think, because Dr. Kadogan actually very generously bought a server and started housing and fostering other people to do their own work. Um, and he supported them and spent a lot of money supporting them. So we're very indebted to him for that. And that's, I think, why emergency medicine is a, is a huge presence in that movement, um, because it's not just us, obviously. There's the internists have their herbsiders and internet work, and there's some surgical content out there that is, is um, in all the different subspecialties of surgery and medicine. Um, but I do think that a big part of the kickstart for why emergency medicine is really out there with some of these resources is because Dr. Kadogan kind of um, opened the door for many people to walk through it. And so as a sponsor of many people, he sponsored one guy named Brad Toma, um, who's my like main collaborator in this space. And, uh, and, and he went on to form Boring EM. And I babysat for EM for a year when um, he was off um, doing his exam studying. And then when he came back, I had redone all the operations, grown the team. And then we started talking about sustainability of this being a single author blog probably wasn't something that I was interested in running. So that's why I had remade things in his, in his absence. Um, but he started to see, because he's done his master's in leadership, he was like, huh, I see where you're going with this. And so we started having conversations about sustainability and recruiting bigger team and creating more of a community of practice. And so now we have volunteers from like Shore to Shore in Canada for QDDM. 
Um, it's a digital community practice. We use Slack as our digital backbone and collaboration space. Um, and sometimes we meet up at the national conference when it actually happens. Uh, and uh, people um, work in, you know, um, a nationalized asynchronous augmented by the occasional synchronous Zooms and, and other kind of uh, facilitation to be able to get content out onto the blog. That's, that's so fascinating. Wow. I guess I, 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 I'm eyeing the time right now, so I'm just going to yes. do one more brief question. Um, yeah. I guess, how did all this work? How did all your experience uh, tail into your work with um, academic life in emergency medicine? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Yeah, Alien, I guess, um, .com. So um, along the way, when Brent and I were just, um, he was still just working on Boring EM, and I, he was doing a SIM fellowship um, in, at Harvard uh, with the um, Center for Medical Simulation. He had a lot of free time because he wasn't doing a lot of clinical that year. Um, and I was a new staff, and I was trying to make my way in the world. And so we started having a conversation um, at one of our national conferences, and he declared that he wanted to convince the world that the digital scholarship was scholarship. And I was like, okay, fair. But looking around this room, we were at a consensus conference about educational scholarship. This group is going to need us to publish a couple of papers to convince them. Um, so I'm doing my master's. If I can be of help to you, email me. So he did. And we worked on our first paper. We recruited um, Michelle Lynn, who was the um, editor-in-chief of academic life and emergency medicine. We just basically fangirled her and fanboyed her and said, we love your work and we're big fans of the work that you do. Would you be our senior author on this project with us? And so that was the first project I worked on with Brent. It published in a little no-name journal called The Winnower that's been bought out by Orthea now. Um, but it still exists and that paper still is out there. And we looked at as uh, basically a, a scope review of um, educational and digital educational resources to really show that like this is a true thread in education scholarship that the digital is still education scholarship that spurred on a conversation with michelle where we pitched her some ideas we then ran something called the medic series for michelle um as volunteers within our organization called the medical education and cases series and that ran for five years and Fred to Red, uh, eventually subbed in we brought in someone new as a co-leader, Tamara McCall from Manitoba. We had a whole team. We would basically do massive online PBL. So we'd launch a faculty development medical education case online, and then we would discuss on Twitter or in the blog comments. And then we would actually have expert commentaries about that case. And then, um, and then uh, do a digest of the proceedings from the consensus kind of discussions. Um, and we would spin that around. It used to be a week, then it became two weeks into an educational package that faculty could download for free um, and uh, actually just use. Those then spun into annual kind of review books that you can download as also for free um, for, uh, from, the, uh, from the Academic Life and Emergency Medicine or Alien Library. So if you go to alien.com slash library, you can see the five medic books. And then we also have other free ebooks that you can check out. There's also um, the... Uh, I was just going to say, uh, the, the actual cases, if you want to look at each case, they're all like little handouts that you can use for faculty development. If you're, um, someone who is trying to raise the bar for education, 
Um, and it's just alium.com slash medic, M-A-D-I-C. And then you can see all the cases, like 48 cases or something like that. It pisses me off that there's not 50. So we might do some anniversary edition ones. I don't know. Anyway, so, um, so those cases are now all available for free to anyone who wants to do faculty development, small group learning, things like that, because they have a case, you could then have a small group discussion and then you have your debriefing content. We made it easy for lots of teachers to just use these. And so that's how we became involved with Alien. And uh, we went on to volunteer other things. I, I helped then um, with another initiative called the Alien Faculty Incubator. And that program I helped build with the NIDAS team of three people and try and vert, I guess. Um, Michael Gottlieb is still within the structure, Lena Yaris, and I have both kind of quote unquote graduated, but we planned for the succession so that. I would actually be absolute in five years and I got out in six. So I'm, 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 I'm going to take that as a win. And so the alien faculty incubator now runs with my minimal, minimal advice and support as a senior advisor, because they didn't want me to completely disappear. I just pipe in like, you know, the emeritus professor at rounds that asks that awkward question once in a while and adds some wisdom. Um, and so that's kind of my functionality in that group, but that, that group has been running a, an international incubator for faculty. Um, I think we're in the sixth cohort, so I'm seventh now. And so, um, the idea would be that, uh, they, that group every year publishes an ebook about education theory. They also do a whole learning experience for a year in the di digital asynchronous format. So it really easily flipped over into pandemic life. Let's just put it that way. Um, but has been a way for people to network and grow their grow their scholarly identity and do that professional identity formation and really support faculty in doing um, their work really well. And so that's another kind of initiative that we've developed, grown and scaled. And should I stop doing this all for free, Paul? But now that I have more of an um, institutional lens, um, because I'm this associate dean of continuing professional development, so I'm taking all these lessons learned and trying to do something uh, for my institution now that's uh, a, a little bit different. Honestly, I have no clue how you've done so much and had so much impact, but the, you, you've opened my eyes to a world of medical education that honestly deserves a little more of the spotlight and a little more of the cred because th there's so much impact that the, the work that you've done will, there's so many ways in which you'll impact the, the lives of future medical education, uh, medical educators and those who are pursuing academic lives in medicine. But I, I'm aware of the time. Um, I usually I ask what time it is. I know it's 7.02 or my time, but, um, yeah. do you have any pluggables to plug any social media tags? Oh, I, I definitely check out, uh, gridlockedgame.com. If you're interested in finding out more about gridlocked, uh, there'll be links out for there for a triaged game. And then when we launch the other games, they will probably be, um, on that platform as well. Uh, if you're looking to, um, follow what I'm doing and see what next crazy thing I dream of and um, enact and crazy in a good way, obviously. Um, you can check out my Twitter handle at, at TKNMD. Um, I think on LinkedIn, also just TKNMD, so you can look for me there. Um, I'm happy to connect. Um, we're, you know, doing something that's a little bit more in the continuing education space with my new role um, at McMaster. And so probably watch some of the space of our new office at McMaster. And if you're interested in joining the learning journey, um, there's definitely offerings that we have through our, um, program for faculty development that are open access. Uh, we'll be doing some more open access content creation, hopefully in the next little while as well. So 
Um, if you're a big fan of full red, we're starting to, you know, do foam fact dev and, um, uh, you know, and other kind of uh, continuous learning content that's open access as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Met. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmet.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time. Bye-bye.